This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Well, yourself? I'm doing just fantastic. And there's our old pal, Evan Grant, over there. Hello, Evan. Hello, everybody. Well, you know, it feels like we just did one of these podcasts, isn't it? And then here we are again. Yeah, for all the listeners at home, we've we've had a real good technological morning this, this, this today. <laughs> Kevin couldn't get his microphone to work, and then Jose lost. And power. then he did get it to work, which made it worse. Wow! Yeah. Oh, that's a shot across the well, bow. Basically, what we want to say at this point is you missed some really good stuff. Yeah, and I'm not sure we can re- recreate any of that either. But uh, we're going to you're going to say regurgitate in. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah, what he said a while ago. Uh, a good word for this podcast. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we didn't have the segue we had last time uh, uh, about progress in the Cowboys. But uh, uh, the, the question is, uh, uh, and we will try to go through this as quickly as we can, but uh, in the uh, of the four questions to me that are left about the Cowboys and, and, and what we saw against the Bengals, which was, uh, granted, not a good team. Uh, the Bengals were terrible. They're, they're down to Brandon Allen, at quarterback. Um, they, they do have uh, some elements uh, uh, of their game a little bit, but they only won two games themselves. Uh, and this is a team that's really struggling now. Uh, the Cowboys did produce some turnovers. Uh, my question for you, David, is that will, in the last three games of this season, will Mike Nolan be able to do enough to save his job? Because I think that's probably the worst development that could happen for this Cowboys team is for anybody to go into this offseason thinking that, you know what, we got it all kind of worked out there at the end of the year and everything's just fine as it is. And we'll go into next season like this. I stand by my answer in the podcast that just was blown up. Thank you. (laughs) Very good. Okay. Thank you very much. (laughs) Does that address it? Um, I, you know, I think there's, I think there's a bit of a sliding scale here. If, um, as you mentioned, that was not a Cincinnati team with a lot of offensive firepower. Um, but none of the three teams that Dallas has left to face are really in that category either. There's some significant uh, offensive personnel out for all three of the teams they will face the rest of the way. Um, if, if Dallas can, can play to the level it did and, and get the results that it did in that Cincinnati game, I think it moves the needle and it changes the conversation in the off season um, because then uh, you can go in, you go, well, it, as bad as it was in the first three quarters of the season, uh, they did show progress. They stuck with it. Uh, there was definite improvement. Um, you know, it worked here. It worked with injuries within games where we were able to adapt better. Um, so I, I think that Mike Nolan can help his cause with these final four games. But I think that pendulum's going to have to swing a lot because they weren't just, they haven't just been bad this season. They've been historically bad. They've been inept. They've been consistently out of position. Um, they have, they are giving up yards in the run game that goes well beyond what any defense in the league is doing this year. Um, and even though there have been injuries to some extent that explain some of their issues, uh, by and large, it has been uh, an inability to adapt and embrace this scheme. And it has created questions whether or not these players actually fit in the scheme that they want run. 
Um, so I, I think when you have a performance that is as epically bad as what the Cowboys have been through the first 12 games, um, I think it's going to be hard to, to get that conversation to move in the other direction. And, and I think you also need to show not just to your fan base, but to your players that, you know, coaches are always telling players they need to be accountable with their performance. Well, the same goes for the coaching staff. And um, I would be very surprised at this stage if you don't see changes on the defensive staff uh, in this offseason. Right. They're going to they're going to end up with a club record for points allowed. Right. I mean, that, we, we, we think that's that's an yeah, all- unless they get a few shutouts here. The rest in these final three games. Yeah, they, they, they're 30. They're already in the like one of the top five worst defenses in Cowboys history from a, from a point standpoint from, from a club record. Um, yeah. And I just I, for me, it's not about what you show in these last three games against teams that quite frankly, aren't very good or, or in, in most cases using their best players. It's what you showed. You were so dreadful early on that, and, and that was when you supposedly had your best players, right? And and I, I think it would be a mistake right now to evaluate too much based on games against the likelihood of, of Cincinnati, San Francisco playing a backup quarterback, Philadelphia playing, you know, having benched its quarterback. I, 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 I just think that uh, there are some consequences that, that ultimately befall here. And this has been, uh, this has been a, a dreadful team. I guess my question, David and, and, and Kevin on, on the defense is how much worse has the defense been than you anticipated it would be? Oh, it's much worse. I mean, I listen, this was a, uh, we complained about the defense last year and it was what 11th in the league. Uh, you know, uh, and that's so, normally where it was. It was right in that. It was in that nine. It was in that nine to 14 range pretty consistently the final five years or so under Rod Marinelli. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we complained about that. So I, I thought that would be, you know, I didn't think I didn't expect them to be a great defense. You know, the personnel doesn't dictate that. You know, it doesn't there's not a good secondary here. You know, there you could you could make the argument that the Cowboys are below average at every position in the secondary. Uh, and, and I, and I think that, you know, I was never a big Xavier Woods fan and, uh, and I think I, my prediction has been borne out this year. You know, he's, I, I think that's who he is, you know, uh, in the Baltimore game, he was just horrific uh, in that one, but you know, I, I think at times he makes some plays back there, but he, he's just not, he's not what I would consider, uh, a, uh, the kind of safety you need to have back there. And, and I think that Donovan Wilson played pretty well when he was in there as strong safety. I think that Trayvon Diggs played, uh, I thought he played very well for a rookie cornerback. I thought he was very aggressive. I really liked him a lot. I think it was a lot of the good things that he did back there, even though he did get beat uh, a lot. Uh, but that happens with the rookie cornerbacks for the most part. So I, I think that there's some, there's some ability here to recover a little bit. I think what's going to happen here is that, that Jerry Jones is going to look at this and say, listen, uh, I got a lot of money invested in Jalen Smith. Uh, Leighton Vander Esch was a first round draft pick. Uh, you know, these guys were successful at one time and this year they've looked terrible. Uh, you know, he's not going to blame that on, uh, he may kind of blame that on the linebackers, but he's going to, he's going to blame that on the coaching and he's going to say, we need to get rid of this coach. It's going to be interesting to me to see, this year and going into this offseason, because we don't know the dynamic between Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones. You know, we don't know what that's really like at this point. They just started together. So I believe that if, if, if Mike McCarthy tells Jerry, you know what, I want to keep Mike, I want to keep this and make this happen again. I think that Jerry could do that, but he would then put Mike on such a short leash that you couldn't, you couldn't believe what, what might get him ejected from this. And I think Mike needs to be smart enough to know that, that that's, that's what's going to happen here. If, if Mike McCarthy is smart, he will fire Mike Nolan after the season and replace him with another defensive coordinator. It wouldn't be that unusual for Mike Nolan. He's been at what, 46 stops in his NFL career. Uh, so I, I think that uh, if he's smart, that's what he'll do. He won't want to get off on a bad foot with Jerry uh, in, in all this, but but we know how Jerry works. And, and I think after a season as bad as this one and with the fan unrest that there is and coming off a season where you lost all this revenue uh, because you couldn't have a full stadium, uh, that the last thing Jerry wants to do is that, first of all, it makes 
him look bad as a GM that it looks like there's there's nobody on the defensive side of the football that can play. Uh, and, and secondly, he's going to want to make sure that he has somebody in place there that can that can fix this. And, and yeah, Jerry's going to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Evan, yeah. It just goes back to this. Right. This is a at this point in time, the Cowboys are not about process. It's about results. And this this season has been has been god awful results. And, and, you know, unless Jerry is willing to step back and say, We've got to stick, we've got to go into a, a, a multi-year process here. I, I just don't see where things are lining up for there to not be significant changes. Yeah, and and going back to what you're saying, like you know what can happen here in these final four games, it's relative, right? I mean, are they really showing progress, or are they just not dreadfully horrible as they were in the first? You know, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's progress, not to be horrible and completely utterly ineffective but is that really showing progress or did you just or you know did you come out of the mud a little bit and you're right I mean to me to me Mike Nolan's going to be the battleground this offseason and that's that's where the the most difficult conversation is going to be between Jerry and Stephen Jones and Mike McCarthy and despite his reputation Jerry Jones has always deferred and I would argue been over backwards to a fault with head coaches in their first year, allowing them to do whatever they wanted. Uh, You want to do it this way? Okay, we owe it to you. You want to do this? Okay, fine. But then at the end of that season, if you didn't see the dividends paid, if you you didn't see the benefit of that, then you lose a little bit of latitude. So I, I think you know, I think you're right. I think if Mike McCarthy draws a line in the sand and go, no, we made progress. He's part of the culture I want to put in place here. I need him going forward. Jerry goes, okay, but that gives Mike McCarthy and Mike Nolan even less latitude uh, going forward because they have not produced the results. So uh, you're right. I, I think this is, this isn't about Mike McCarthy's survival because he's going to be back, but it's about, I think, how much of a voice does he want going forward? And, and you know, the Jones family is going to look at this and go like, well, Mike, we like a lot of these other things you did, but this is a mistake. So are you telling me you can't really acknowledge a mistake? You're going to double down on it? Well, then maybe we should have more conversations about what you want done. Maybe we just won't rubber stamp everything. And that's what's at stake, I think, for Mike McCarthy. And I think what he has lost with how bad this first season has been. I think they had success this year. You would have gone into another season of basically uh, everything he wanted would be rubber stamped and said, okay, you know, we brought you in here for a reason. We trust you. Let's go. Um, I think now, because of the way this season's played out, um, Mike McCarthy's still the guy going forward, but I think a lot more of the conversation goes to, uh, Mike, not so fast. Let's talk about this. Why do, why do you want to do this? Now, why would this work? Because you wanted to do this that was similar and it didn't work. So that, that's what Mike McCarthy has cost himself this offseason. Not a job or job security, but uh, I, I think the, the honeymoon is certainly over. Yeah, I thought the honeymoon was over after the first game. Frankly, uh, it was the it was the shortest honeymoon in the in the history of, uh, of professional football. Uh, some of the decisions that Mike made, I think that's the thing that, that too that they're going to look over after this season is like, what about all these decisions you made, Mike, in game? What about when you you know the, the one of the reasons they got rid of of, uh, of Jason Garrett was because of the in game decisions. You know, uh, the preparation all week long was great; everything was really good. Then you get in the game and you make these decisions that are so questionable that they're, that they're actually costing you games. And then we've we've watched Mike in this in this season pretty much give free reign to his uh, to both his special teams uh, coach and to his defensive coordinator. He, he's let them kind of do what they want to do. You know, he's let John Fossil, the, the infamous, you know, going for it on first down and, you know, uh, you know, fourth and 10 from your own 24 yard line, uh, a ridiculous uh, decision. He, you know, what, and this was two weeks ago against the Ravens, which was such an awful game, but, but watching that clock count down, you know, the play clock uh, before the field goal, I was just inexcusable. I don't know that I've ever seen such a bad 
execution on the sideline went, you know, the, you know, of course, remember, we all remember when the rule was the, the coaches couldn't call timeout. It had to be somebody on the field who would call timeout. But when you, when you're the head coach and you can call a timeout and you sit there and watch that whole thing fall apart, then you, and then your explanation is, I thought we were going to get the kickoff. Oh, we're going to snap it. Yeah. It's like, you, you got to be kidding, Mike. That's, that was just, that was terrible, terrible. So I, I think, you know, th- that's what, to me that Jerry, that's one of the questions Jerry has to ask him after this season. Are you going to be in charge of this or not? Are you going to be, because ultimately you're, you're accountable for all this. You know, we can fire John Fossil, we can fire Mike Nolan, but you're going to get your butt fired if you keep letting these guys run things on the, on the field, because they have clearly demonstrated that they need a little governor on them. You know, they, they can't be out there just doing what they want to do. You have to take charge of it. So I think those are things that they're going to have to discuss. I've just got, I mean, the the last thing I've got to say on any of this is just in general, I've been so unimpressed with the coaching at every level on this team this year. Um, Whether it's clock management, whether it's, it's decisions on field goals or going for it. Uh, We've talked at length about, about the defense. Uh, It's been, I mean, to me, it's been, what positive can you say about what the coaching staff has done this year. I can't come up with a single one. No, no, no. It's it F's across the board. Uh, this has just been a spectacular flunk. And, and, and now to me, the question is going to be, uh, because you know, it, it didn't end well for Mike in green Bay. Uh, and, and of course he had one of the, the greatest quarterbacks ever playing for him all those years. And I'm not going to take away what happened there in green Bay. And I, there are too many people who, who like Mike McCarthy that I respect. Troy Aikman has said before that how much he liked Mike McCarthy, Jimmy Johnson says how much he thinks, you know, Mike McCarthy is a good head coach. I I think he's a fine hire. I just think he made some really questionable decisions this year, trying to do something out of the box, trying to show everybody, look how I'm thinking outside the box. This is all about what I learned in my little, you know, hiatus. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really one of the cool kids. Now look at all the things that I, that I can do. And then I'm, I'm willing to, uh, uh, countenance, you know, that that's just not, it's not working. And he needs to go, go back. I think he needs to go back to being what he was before, uh, before he, he did all this kind of research and, and just be a, just be the head coach. Uh, just, just hire good people, make sure you got good people in place and, and, and put your people in a position to make plays. I, I think that this team certainly in the draft, and this is what the question I want to ask next. I think there are certainly plenty of good people on offense and you're going to get your tackles back next year. Probably looks like, you know, I think the offense will be fixed pretty much on its own. I think, and I know there are fans who don't like what Kellen Moore is doing. I, I think the offense has been fine, you know, considering what they have to work with uh, on defense. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen here. They need to have a really good draft. They need to really put some people in place here. I, I think that this team can bounce back. You know, it, it has done that before. You know, uh, the, the four win season in what, in, in 2015, and then the next year they won 13 games. You know, that's a pretty big bounce back uh, to do that. I'm not saying they're going to win 13 games next year. I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say I think they can go – they can win 11 games. Uh, but they're going to have to have a lot of things break right. Dak Prescott is going to have to come back and be healthy again and show that he can play after such a horrific injury. That's a big thing coming back from that. Alex Smith did that, but it took him a long time. Now, Alex Smith's injury was worse, uh, but but we've seen these kind of things happen and, and how how it impacts the player. I do think that Dak is the kind of guy who can really make this bounce back. He's a really tough, really courageous guy, great, great mental toughness a lot of the things you really want in, in a football player and especially a quarterback but uh i feel like i'm i feel like i'm really sticking my neck out to say they're going to do that at this point because if this team doesn't make the right hire and get, doesn't go through a really good off season and i i, I don't want to hear from anybody going into the next season well they had to break in a new coach and staff and and you know they made changes so you got to give them some time you know it's like this team is going to be on the clock as soon as that first kickoff starts next fall. There was, there was no, there should have been absolutely none of that this year. You were bringing in a Super Bowl winning coach to take this team to the Super Bowl. You, this was not about growth or anything. This was about, about results this year. 
Yeah, I agree completely. And, and just back on the coaching, I think there's a fine line between being making aggressive, risky decisions and being reckless. And I think too often this year that they've fallen on the reckless side of the decision-making process. Two, I, 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 you know, I think there's some importance to, to how the season plays out because, um, look, they've been one and three in every quarter so far. Uh, now they've won the first one on this. But so, so say they lose their final three and, and they finish up at this rate, four and 12. Well, I'm not – I agree with what you said earlier, Kevin. Um, I, I don't think Kellen Moore has particularly been a problem. I think if you want to look at why this team is where it is, I don't know that Kellen Moore is in my top 10 of reasons on why this team has the record it does. That being said, if this offense is completely disoriented in these final three games, which we've seen at times this year, if they don't win another game, well, Mike McCarthy loses so much stature in this first year. How can he regain that going into the next year? That's to call plays again. So, you know, I, I think there's still a lot to play out here because Mike McCarthy has to be cognizant of his perception, uh, not just with the Jones family, but in the locker room. And um, he needs to let everyone know why things are going to be different next year. And to, to get that energy and that buy-in in the off-season program. And that's still something that he has available to him. I don't think he wants to play it. I think he really likes Kellen Moore. And like I said, I, I don't think uh, Kellen Moore has been the issue here this year. But when a head coach starts losing status, you have to look for ways where you regain that status in the eyes of, of your players. And, and that would be one way to do it. But I, I agree with, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I do think it's going to be a defensive emphasis in the draft and free agency. Having said that, it was a defensive emphasis in free agency this past year. And this club did not make good decisions and they they're going to have to improve uh, in their, in their free agent decisions to supplement this because they have so many needs defensively. It can't just be addressed through the draft. All right. I, we need to kind of wrap up the Cowboys part of this, but I just want to ask a real quick question right, here that is that in the draft, uh, we don't know where they're going to end up. You know, at this point, they could end up anywhere uh, pretty much anywhere. Probably I'm, I'm guessing somewhere between five and 10 is where they end up. It's most likely. So, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've looked over a lot of these mock drafts. I've seen a lot of these guys play. Uh, it's, it is more of an offensive draft at the top end of it than it is a defensive draft, which it really plays right into the Cowboys' hands in my mind uh, because, uh, you know, there's several quarterbacks who can go. I don't think that they – you know, they're not going to be able to get Trevor Lawrence or, or Justin Fields. Those will be the first two picks of the draft probably. Uh, so that, that question won't even come up in my mind about whether they draft a quarterback or not. Um, I don't think there's a franchise quarterback after those two or even maybe even after the first one. Um, so – and then there's Penny Sewell, the uh, offensive tackle from Oregon, is considered the best offensive lineman. I don't think they need to invest in an, an offensive lineman that high again. They've, they've done that before. We've seen where that's gotten them. Uh, I do think they need to take a defensive player. You want to take the best player. I, look, I, I, I get that. And, and, and that's certainly what they did this year with CeeDee Lamb, and that worked out just fine. Um, but, you know, the best cornerback supposedly available, Patrick Certain from uh, Alabama. Uh, and then there's uh, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, uh, that another – good defensive back, uh, another good corner. Uh, there is the, the problem is there's not a lot of defensive linemen that are certainly not defensive tackles. And to me, that's the Cowboys big need. It's like more than anything, they need a dominant defensive tackle uh, in this draft. And I can't even remember the last time they, they drafted a dominant defensive tackle. Uh, uh, that, that probably goes back to the, to the uh, Jimmy Johnson days when they did something like that. So, if you had to guess, David, if it came down to it, do you think they would go more secondary? Would they go cornerback? Is that easier to, to fix than it is? And is, is defensive tackle something they could probably get later on in the draft, second, third round? Yeah, it, it's not a particularly, from what I know, it's not a particularly good draft at defensive tackle, which is is what I would 
look, they need to improve up the middle. <laughs> That's defensive tackle and second, you know, safety in my mind. Right. Uh, but yeah, but they're going to lose some more corners as well. So, um, I, you know, I will say that um, they could be in a spot where if a team has like one more quarterback on the board, they could say, well, hey, you got to come here to get that quarterback pay up and they would be willing to move back a few spots because of, of so much offensive talent, then that would allow them to acquire more defensive talent, you know, dominoing back. Um, but I, I just, I don't think the draft stacks up for where they're going to draft from what I know right now, where a defensive tackle on that first pick is going to make sense. You're looking more uh, a secondary guy um, or, you know, using that pick, moving back a few spots and picking up some additional, uh, capital in the in the second and third round so that's that's how I would foresee it going at this point not knowing where they're going to be and, and who all's coming out yeah yeah lots of uh lots of things still to be considered there I don't think we have a really good handle on it it's it's, it's really difficult to have a good handle on it this year because of the, sure. the lack of games that have been played in college football uh it's hard to tell uh about some of these guys some of the guys when i mentioned penny so he hasn't played at all he opted out yeah. greg rousseau the defensive end from miami he opted out uh you know so uh we've had a lot of guys who are expected to be top 10 picks who didn't even play this year so it's going to be a very interesting draft uh it's a you know it's, it's a the cowboys are going to have a lot of picks and then as you said they might even have even more uh, which I, I wouldn't be, you know, usually I object to that. I don't know that I would this time. I, I think uh, if, if you got a chance to still get the guy you want and you can trade down, uh, then you need to do that. Uh, they need, they need as many chances as they can to get this right as possible. And then very quickly before we move on to our other topics, I would just say you asked the question about the last defensive tackle they really drafted that, that, you know, filled me. He was a late round pick, but the last guy they picked that actually was a Pro Bowl guy was Jay Ratliff. But he was yeah. the seventh round pick. You know, that was late and a guy they hit on. As far as taking a defensive tackle high, um, it, it's been a long, long time. I guess Mar Marcus Spears was drafted as a defensive end. He ended up playing tackle. Yeah. Uh, and that was a 3-4. That, that was to move over to the 3-4. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's our, that's our Cowboys talk. Now let's move over here. Uh, I want to talk uh, about, uh, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on in, uh, because seasons are ending here now in college football. Uh, and, uh, and we're seeing some ripple effects here, some things happening across the board. Uh, coaches are, are not, uh, there will not be a new coach at Texas. Uh, and uh, Tom Herman, when they found out that urban Meyer was going to, uh, stay at Fox, uh, that uh, Texas said, well, okay, I guess that Tom, come on back. We'll, we'll have you, we'll keep you for one more year, uh, which I, frankly, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I do think it's funny that Texas didn't want to pay the $15 million buyout on uh, Tom Herman. And I guess it would have cost them probably another 9 million or so to, to, to lay off the rest of his staff. Uh, but Auburn didn't have any uh, problem giving uh, Gus Malzahn $21 million to walk away. Uh, he gets half of that in the next 30 days, uh, which it must be good to be Gus Malzahn is what I got to say. Uh, you're going to get, he's soon going to run for Senate in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, he might as well, you know, you know, and I, and I don't want to talk too much politics here, but did, did anybody in, in that, in that, uh, Senate race over there, bring up, uh, Tommy walking the check at, uh, the 50 yard line in Lubbock when he was the coach at Texas tech. I mean, come on, can, can you elect a guy to be Senator who walks a check and leaves a recruits hanging there? Come on, that can't happen. But anyway, uh, so, you know, uh, I don't know if y'all noticed that Art Briles resigned at, uh, at Mount Vernon, uh, his two-year contract was up and he said, adios, um, got the team to the state semis, uh, and then that was it. And, you know, just, uh, to let y'all know, uh, Hugh Freeze apparently is uh, the favorite for that job that Gus Malzahn just vacated at Auburn and, uh, and Hugh Freeze is the coach at Liberty. And the athletic director at Liberty is a guy named Ian McCall, who used to be the athletic director at Baylor, which is where Art Browse used to work. So there's some speculation that old Art Browse might be the next coach at Liberty. Well, it's just it's good to see good people like Hugh Freeze and Art Browse getting opportunities at Liberty. 
You know, that that's what I like about it. It used to be the people that were kind of considered questionable were working at UNLV, you know, uh, it, it's in, in, in Sin City. And, and now the people that have a questionable backgrounds are getting hired at Liberty, Jerry Falwell's school. So, I, not you know, anymore. It's, not anymore. Jerry Falwell's not at Liberty. That's true. No, there's no Jerry. There's no Jerry Jr. Yeah. at, the, the at Liberty. The character was actually at, yeah, at a different position at the school. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I my, my personal opinion, I don't have a whole lot to say on Art Browse just because my personal opinion is the less said, the better at this point. Um, I, I feel like this is a man who just never took any responsibility for anything. And, and it just goes to show exactly where we are in college football right now. Um, uh, you know, that Auburn can, can give Gus Malzahn $20 million to walk away but teams can cry poor and that they can't give their players some kind of stipend. Uh, I, I'm just more, I love college football. I absolutely love it. And I'm more disconnected from it than, than I've ever been. It, it's, um, it's just kind of, to me, it, and, and this recycling of, of, of these types of coaches, there just needs to be more opportunity for, for, for other people at this point. Let me, let me run something past you here, too, because this has certainly been uh, speculation. Uh, Matt Wells, uh, the football coach at uh, Texas Tech, not off to a good start in his career there. Uh, two years, but two pretty poor uh, seasons for the Red Raiders. Uh, I was told that uh, when uh, you know Kirby Hocutt is the uh, athletic director there at Texas Tech, done a good job, did a great job on his basketball hire, uh, has done a, a great job on his baseball hire, uh, of course, in Texas, people don't really care about your basketball and your baseball hires that much if you don't make a good football hire. Uh, I was told that on the board, the board was split uh, when Kirby was looking for a head coach. Uh, Kirby was was is an old linebacker from Kansas State uh, and uh, played for Bill Snyder there. So you can guess what kind of uh, football that Kirby Hocutt likes. He likes to play fundamental defense uh, and certainly Tech – Never played that under anybody who's coached there in the last, you know, I don't know, 30 years, at least since Spike Dykes was there. So uh, they're all about offense there. Uh, so he went out and got Matt Wells from Utah State. Uh, the um, the board, however, was, as I was told, was split on who they wanted as the next head coach. Their choices were Dana Holgerson, uh, a former uh, uh, Mike Leach guy who's now the coach at Houston, and Art Bryles. Uh that's who the board wanted. And so he went out and got Matt Wells. Well, that didn't work out so well for him. Uh, and now it's my understanding that, that Kirby is really on thin ice uh, in Tex at Texas Tech. And uh, uh, he didn't help himself any when uh, Cliff Kingsbury's chosen quarterback, Alan Bowman, he benched him, put his own guy in place, a guy who had, uh, he had recruited at Utah State. Didn't play for him, but he recruited him. Uh, and then that didn't work out. He went back to Alan Bowman. Here's what I'm going to say for, for uh, Kirby Hogan, who I like very much. He's a good guy. Um, but he needs to tell his head coach, if Cliff Kingsbury believes in a quarterback, you better go with him. Uh, I don't believe there's a, a, a football coach on this planet who understands quarterbacks better than Cliff Kingsbury. I think that there are better head coaches. There might be better coaches of any kind, but there's no better the diviner of of who is a quarterback and who is not than Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, he, he is an unbelievable talent for that, that sort of thing. And he believed in Alan Bowman and been Alan Bowman played great. So now we hear Kirby Hocutt saying that we need to get a, an offensive coordinator in here who can really get this offense back to what it used to be, which is funny to hear Kirby say that now, but I think that the message has gotten through from the board. So I don't believe that Art Browse is going to end up at Texas Tech. I think that would be an untenable situation to have him as the offensive coordinator working for Matt Wells. I think that Matt Wells will get to hire uh, a guy, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were if it were a Mike Leach guy who ended up being the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech. Tom Herman, as we said, is still at, at Texas. He's going to be there at least another year. Um, I think that, that Tom is another guy on a short leash. Uh, he's going to have to have a, a big year next year. And that's going to be difficult. Uh, his uh, some of his recruits have bailed out on him. Uh, uh, certainly, the kid at South Lake Carroll, Quinn Ewers, uh, decommitted and is uh, going to go to Ohio State. Uh, so um, it's going to be uh, tough for Tom next year. But Texas is going to have to make a, a, a big move there if they're going to replace him. They can't afford 
to go out and hire. And I, in my estimation, you can't afford to go out and hire Matt Campbell. Uh, I, I think Matt Campbell at Iowa State is a fine coach. He's done a great job there at Iowa State. He's a, a defense first kind of guy. Um, I, I think that what Texas has finally decided is that, you know what? All these years, uh, we have hired uh, coaches on the comp. These are guys that we, we think are going to be good head coaches, but we're not really sure. Uh, uh, if you go back, and if I brought this up before, you all, you all uh, tell me. Of course, you would anyway. I don't have to invite you to do that. Uh, but uh, the, the, the only big-name coach Texas has ever hired was DX Bible. Uh, DX Bible, and that was about, oh, 100 years ago. Uh, DX Bible was uh, the head coach at Texas A&M in Nebraska before he, he came to Texas, so he had a, a national name. He was a big-time coach when they got him. Even Darrell Royal was not a big name when he came from Mississippi State uh, and, and uh, Washington State. He was, not a, uh, he, was, he was not a guy that was thought – he was thought of as a young up-and-comer, but he was not a big name like what A&M was doing when it was going out and getting a Bear Bryant or when it went and got Jackie Sherrill, or when uh, they, they just uh, signed Jimbo Fisher for $8 billion. So uh, it's time for Texas to make that move. Texas, I, I believe, has to find a big name. There's just so many of those available, though, and I think that's why Texas decided to stick with Tom Herman. Let's, let's figure this out. What are we going to do? What, what's gonna be, who's going to be our next coach? Yeah, they're boxed in. I think you know. I, I think they're really where they are with their brand. And it, as soon as Urban Meyer, it was clear he wasn't going to do it. I don't think they had a valid option to turn to because they know they have to go big. Um, and but are they in a position where they're attractive to the big names right now? Are there more attractive, you know, opportunities out there? And so that's what you know. They're not going to be able to acknowledge to themselves that they can't get whoever they want. But they, when you look at this prolonged period here, they may not be able to get whoever they want. And then they're not going to feel good about anyone they get in that situation. So I think they're, they're, at, a really, they're at a really interesting juncture right now going forward. I, I think the one issue that Texas has is you say, you know, you need to stop drawing coaches from smaller programs, but – Texas is, uh, operates at a level, or at least in its own mind, it operates at a level where pretty much everything else is a smaller program. So the only the only pool that I think they'd want to draw from is pools of guys who have either won or played for national championships. And that's a really small pool and, and by and large, non-existent. Well, that's what Texas A&M did. You know, uh, they went out and hired a guy who won a national championship at Florida State. We can all make fun of that. The fact that they're paying him seven and a half million dollars a year for ten years, uh, but he's got in his uh, third year, he's got Texas A&M right on the the edge of the of the CFP. Now, I don't think they're going to make it, but they're right there. Uh, and I and I think I'll say this: this the season doesn't matter this year. Let's. I mean, let, let's just call that what it is. It, it, well, it really you doesn't. can say that, Evan, but the thing is they've played well, and, and, they're, and they're, it's a good team. I think it bodes well for, for them in, uh, next next season, and that's, that's Texas' problem as well. It's one thing to have Lincoln Riley over the top of you up there in Oklahoma exerting all that pressure, and now you're going to have A&M coming in from the other side too. It's a really difficult thing to support as, as much football as there is in this state. It's really difficult to support three – Big time programs, and I, I looked this up one time in the history of the AP poll. The the number of times that you had three schools from this area. When I say this area, I mean Texas and Oklahoma. When you had three schools in the top ten, finishing the top ten, I think that's happened twice. You know, so it's all it's like whack a mole. There's, if one school is up, one of the others is always down. You never get all three up at the same time. Well, look, Oklahoma's up, and they've been up, and they'll stay up uh, as long as Lincoln Riley is there. Uh, A&M is now up. You know, Texas is not up. And, and I think Texas is going to have a really difficult time maintaining, uh, you know, uh, Tom Herman's done an okay job. He certainly improved the program since he's been there over what uh, he was left by Charlie Strong. Uh, but 
it's not the, at the level that that it needs to be or, or certainly what texas fans think it should be so and and, and jimbo fisher uh, there are things about him that i don't like uh but boy he's a football coach you know i, I had somebody write me and say well i would have loved it if, if jimbo had come out and had challenged you know ohio state to a game last week and say this is what we need to do and i said you know what that'd have been a lot of fun i'd love that if he had done that i should have written that i should have written that jimbo you need to challenge ohio state to a game wherever they want to play but that's not jimbo fisher he's not a politicker you know he's just a football coach every time we ask him a question i feel like we've disturbed him from watching film or something it's like what did you did you just ask me something you know, uh, he's he's all nuts and bolts and, and he's got it going on there. He's a much I believe he's a much better coach than Tom Herman. is. Uh, I, I think he does. A, he's a much better program builder than, than Tom Herman is. Now, I don't think that means that that necessarily that Jimbo Fisher would have been the right coach for Texas. I think that's a different job. I think it's much harder at Texas to get everything on the same level uh, that you want to be because of all the disparate uh, entities you have involved there. It's just, it's just really difficult. The only thing that makes all that work is if you've got a great resume and if you win, you know, those two things, then you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, but that's the problem. How many guys like that are there? You know, tech A&M was, was smart. You know, Scott Woodward was smart when he made that hire for Texas A&M. He went out and found a guy who'd won a national championship and was ready to leave where he was and wanted to go to a program where he could have everything that he wanted, which is what Texas A&M allowed him to do with its resources and that Florida State didn't have. So how many other guys are there like that out there? I think there were, I think there are what, seven guys coaching in, in, in D1 football who've won national championships, something like that. You know, really the, the, the automatics are Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. Those are automatics. Uh, Dabo Swinney's an automatic, but would, would he really leave Clemson to go to Texas? I don't think, I don't think so. I, th- I think he's, he's waiting for, I think he's waiting for Nick Saban to leave Alabama so he can go back there, you know? Um, and, and, and other than those three guys, uh, you know, I think there's, a, there's some guys who can, you know, you, the, the question is, the onus is, can you find the guy who can do that? You know, so far, Texas hasn't proved it can do that. Texas, and it did it once with Mac Brown and it took a while uh, for that to work out. So, uh, but one time in the last, 50 years, that's not a good track record. So, uh, especially at a place like Texas. So it's going to be difficult to find out uh, what's going on and going, and going forward here for these teams. But uh, you got A&M's arrows pointing up, Oklahoma's arrows pointing up. I'd say Texas arrow right now is at best pointing sideways and, and maybe even pointing down a little bit. So we're going to take our well – now, we're, Evan, we're going to let them talk about something that you want to talk about. I know you've been killing us, been beating on us to talk about the Rangers. You know, go ahead. Say whatever it is you want to say about the Rangers. That's your level of interest. <laughs> That's good. That's good. No team, is, no team in this market has taken as many decisive actions as the Texas Rangers in the last two weeks, and that's your reaction. Uh, you know, uh, decisive – Decisive would have been, you know, bring, bring me uh, the Colorado Rockies third baseman. That's decisive, pal. Do that. The Colorado, the Colorado Rockies third baseman is not going to change this team next year. This is a bad team. They have a lot of growing to do. And I, I, I think the, the most important thing was to actually recognize how far they've, they've got to go and to start taking steps in that direction. Look, they were they were roundly criticized for not dealing Lance Lynn at, at the trade deadline. Um, they came to understand what the market was, and they dealt him. Um, they got a top 100 prospect out of it in Dane Dunning and another intriguing arm. Is it an overwhelming return? Mm, probably not, but about a top 100 prospect is about what you could get, and Dane Dunning goes into this organization as the number one pitching prospect you know i love dane dunning and some of those film noir classics from the 50s he was terrific i believe I mean, i've just... already referred to him as the fabulously named dane dunning um <laughs> that's a great I, day you know they I, I think they finally acknowledged that elvis anderson's time has come and gone and they they announced look it's not elvis's job anymore we're not talking about competition it's not Elvis's job anymore. We're going to move Isaiah Kiner Falefa there. Um, in all likelihood, it sounds like they will, as long as Nick Solak can 
is not a, 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 a cinder block at second base and can field the position adequately, he will be the second baseman next year. And those, those are important things that they need to look at um, because they're going to create a path for Josh Young to get to the big leagues. He's got to earn it next year, but I think that they're going to create a path for Josh Young to become the third baseman. And they take next year to, to really evaluate whether Kyna Falefa is a big league shortstop or whether he potentially fits better at second base. And then they make their decisions on the best free agent shortstop class, maybe in forever after 2021. And then I, I think, you know, to, 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 uh, to a lot of fans complaints, they acknowledge that the, the management situation had to improve. And, and, and Chris Young is, is a, is a strong hire for where the Rangers are. There's going to be a learning curve in that he's never run a club, but he has helped run the league for the last three years. Uh, and, and so he's going to have a year basically to, to get his feet under him. He's going to start to make some decisions after 21. And uh, I, I think ultimately this is going to, it will become Chris Young's show and, and John Daniels will, will either fade into the background or, or fade away after a period of time. And, and the moves that they made uh, this week, you know, to, to add a controllable first baseman and to add a free agent who uh, is 26 years old and David Dahl, which, which should be finalized today. Those are all moves that all kind of work in the idea of this is a club that's looking at a long-term process. And I think that it would be, while we've listened to what the Rangers have said the last couple of years, I think it would be easy to say the Rangers fooled themselves uh, or tried to fool the public into thinking that they had uh, moved through their rebuilding process and that they were back on track. Uh, maybe it was some degree of denial, but I think they finally accepted where they are. And, and that's the first step in, in turning it around. It's not going to get turned around in 21 and I, and people need to accept that. And it probably isn't going to get turned around in 22, but this is a team that, that needs to accept that it's got a long way to go and start taking action in that direction. So this guy that they're, they're pursuing in, in Japan now, they're, they're, they're right on the cusp of that. They're, they're about to bring in the, the next U Darvish to, to Texas. Is that right? No, I don't know that I would say that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I don't see them making big investments this offseason. No, he's a 31 year old pitcher uh, who's who's projected as like a number three starter. Uh, you know, that's if you got to pay a lot of money for that kind of thing. Which I don't. You know, here's the thing: baseball doesn't have a, a salary cap. I don't care how much money they spend. Uh, it's not my money. Uh, but the the question is. You know, you, if you do something like that, and this guy's a number three starter, uh, unless you're thinking that by us signing him, and then maybe you know, if he pitches well, we can turn him into something else. You know, those, that's fine. Those, those are huge investments for minimal returns, and, right? And, and I think what you want to do is you want to sign somebody right now, basically on a one or two year deal that that is somewhat affordable, that helps you just pretty much. Oh. Uh, manage how you expose some of your younger pitchers that's that's the biggest issue right now for them is the development of their younger pitchers i think too you know and i think this gets ignored a little bit by by the numbers geeks is that uh you gotta have enough people who can play who can really play to just be able to weather a 162 game season uh i thought we saw last year that it the deterioration of, of Joey Gallo's confidence based on the fact that he had no protection around him uh, and not, not completely based on that, but certainly it didn't help. He needs somebody batting around him that lets him see some pitches. It lets him take a little bit of the pressure off and doesn't feel like he has to carry this entire team. I, I think, you know, looking to me, looking at Joey Gallo, that's his problem is that it is so much mental with him uh, that he has uh, uh, allowed himself to get in such a bad place. And I think that what can be fixed is that you need somebody there to mentor him. I thought that was one thing that uh, Todd Frazier did bring to the club a little bit uh, was that 
from what I could tell, you know, he's talking to him. He's trying to tell him to lighten up here, have a good time. Don't, don't do this so much. And then they traded Todd Frazier. I, I would have, you know, maybe they did that for, for Todd. Maybe he, he wanted the out, but uh, I thought they should have kept him just to be there to, to, to kind of mentor Joey a little bit. I think he needs that. I think he needs somebody there who's going to help him out a little bit. Then it's the same thing with the rotation. You know, you, you just can't throw all these young guys out here and just say, here, just learn. You know, you got to have people there to manage it. But I I don't think that I I don't the mentorship element of it is is good. I don't think it's I don't think it's terribly significant. Um, What they need are are innings. You know, that that's the mentorship that they need. They need innings for a start from starting pitchers so that you don't have to expose Kyle Cody too much if he does struggle so that you don't have to expose Dane Dunning too much if he does struggle, that you don't have to um, overwork these relievers who you might be able to trade at the deadline for, for some actual value. Those are the things that they, they need, and those are not necessarily terribly expensive uh, costs. We didn't say anything about them being great innings. They just need to be innings, and that's that's what the Rangers need. And, and the, they basically saved $5 million here by trading Lance Lynn and adding David Dahl, and and so in, in doing that, they'll, they probably got about maybe about $15 million to commit somewhere along the line. And I think that that'll get them a pitcher or two and probably another position player somewhere along the line. Okay. All right, then, uh, fellas, I think that's going to do it for our uh, podcast today. Uh, this is going to be our, our last one of 2020. Our final podcast of, 19, of uh, 19, of 2020. How about that? Uh, I, I think probably anytime you can announce the end of anything in 2020, that's probably a good <laughs> deal uh, and maybe a good thing for our listeners. But we'll be back uh, after the first of the year for sure uh, when we get everything ramped up again. Uh, I think that David is the only one of the three of us who's actually going to be working. Jose will be working, of course, because Jose never, he never stops. He's always working. He doesn't. Uh, so anyway, uh, so does anybody got anything they want to say before we, we kiss, uh, 2020 goodbye? Good riddance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll say, I'll say for that for sure. All right. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, have a good one. We'll see you next year.